Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So earlier this year, I had a chance encounter with someone at a tube station in London. I was walking down the stairs to the platform with my family, and this older man in a green beret and a warm and mischievous demeanor just struck up a conversation with me out of the blue. I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time this has happened to me on public transport in this city. This kind of curiosity and openness from a total stranger. I asked him what he did, and he said he was an artist, but that it was hard to explain what kind of art exactly. So I asked him what his name was, and he said, Richard Wentworth. You probably know of Wentworth. He's a sculptor who uses found material and everyday objects in ways that often render them useless while playfully teasing out their cultural histories and values. Picture a dictionary stuffed full of bookmarks made of trash, or an office desk carefully impaled by a series of farming implements, or, and this is one of my favorites, a false ceiling made of books hovering just above your head. Although he's a sculptor, Wentworth is probably best known for his ongoing project, Making Do and Getting By, a seemingly boundaryless archive of street photography chronicling the remnants of people's ad hoc adjustments to the built environment. For example, a boot wedged under a door to keep it open, a cigarette stubbed out in an upturned bottle cap, or a plastic cup stuffed between the gap and a fence. Wentworth has an archive of these images that probably numbers in the thousands, which he's been adding to for over 50 years now. In this way, he might be understood more as a kind of street photographer than a sculptor, a kind of latter-day Eugene Etjet, and it felt fortuitous that this was how I first encountered him, in his element, so to speak, looking so closely and curiously at the world around him. Of course, I had to interview him, and so many months later we finally found a time to meet for a walk on a blustery September afternoon near his home in Islington. And I've got to say that to walk with Richard is to encounter a seemingly endless chain of serendipities, and he has this conversational style which he describes as spiraling and which I experienced as orbiting outward from the question, passing through the world around him, and drawing on all kinds of chance associations. As you can imagine, it's hard to edit this kind of discussion without the results sounding artificially compressed, and without altering Wentworth's style of thought beyond recognition. So as a result, this interview is unusually meandering, but one that I think gives a compelling insight into how this artist thinks about his work and the world around him. From the Architecture Foundation, this is Scaffold. I'm your host, Matthew Blunderfield, and I invite you now to sit back, relax, and enjoy this ramble with the artist Richard Wentworth. Hi, uh, I'm Richard Wentworth. I'm with Matthew, a bit close to the fountains at um, King's Cross. Sure. Do you? What you might say to me, an hour? Is this? Yes. Yeah. So, is there something you think you want from me? Because I can talk a lot, and and I'm I speak 
I tend to speak in spirals, which uh -huh. then pass the point of the original, but I then sometimes forget where the point was. So, this is something that only Hans Ulrich and I are experts at doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you, I don't mean tell me what you want to know, but uh -huh. what I mean, you're easy to talk to, so already I'm not, you know, that's dangerous. I don't know what I want. I know that um, language for you is meandering and that we are going for a walk. I think I'm interested in obviously learning more about you. And I know that in a lot of the conversations you have, the attention is focused outward. Well, I wonder why. <laughs> 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 Only a Canadian could go there. Um, and I guess I've been thinking to myself, I mean, you're interested in words. You're interested in objects and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think to a certain extent, words become stuff that you use. Yeah. You're interested in etymology. Yes. Kind of the origins tick, of things. Tick. <laughs> so what I'm interested in is the etymology of you to some extent. And I mean, wow, that's I feel a good, kind of like I, question. I feel like I found you in a way, the way you might find um, one of the pictures you make. I found you um, in the tube, <laughs> in public life. I found, yeah. you, I found you as an older and slightly eccentric <laughs> man. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, a type of... <coughs> A type of pedestrian and um, at first I didn't know who you were to me you were just an old man on the tube being eccentric and friendly and there's this thing there's this thing called civil inattention yeah. that all Londoners participate in yeah. maybe all pedestrians yeah. all over the place do where you politely look away you keep to yourself yeah. and um, yeah. And of course, you're doing exactly the opposite by striking up a conversation. Yeah. Um, and so, to me, you're this thing that's been found that I want to understand more. <laughs> um, and so, I think maybe the best place to start um, is with my experience of your work. Okay. Um, your sculptural work. Just going to take sure. one picture. Well, there'll be many pictures, mm. but I'll take it. Um, this is from my American friend. Um, and you're photographing? I'm photographing, I think it's Quinquifolia. I can, very few plants I can do this for. Quinquifolia henrianae. <laughs> and um, I gave him a plant and told him told him where it came from in London. So it came from Southwark Park in 1969. So obviously it's the child of the child of the child of the child. But he didn't really know what it was. And this is a this is a, this is the posh version, which looks is more more gardeny. Mm. But anyway, I like these kind of conversations. So, I mean, when I think of you, the first image that comes to my mind is of a dictionary. You just gave me this elaborate description of a common plant that's creeping over a low brick wall that you photographed for your friend. And there's something encyclopedic, I think, about the way you encounter the world and the way you make sense of it. 
Hmm. You also work a lot with books and, in fact, with dictionaries, yeah. which you've described before as a place of reverie. The dictionary is a place of reverie. Yeah. And I just wonder, obviously the city is the same way for you. <laughs> yeah. As you go Very on walks. Dictionary. I mean, it's incredibly astute and you didn't use very many words and I think you've, you've, you've said a lot and there's nothing I can go, but that's not true. <laughs> it's very annoying because <laughs> I'm going to have to go, yes, tick, 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 tick. Um, I think stitched into the, these sorts of moments between people is always quite a lot of psychology, psychoanalysis, uh, you know, in the psychiatrist's chair, what have you. And since we've agreed, I'm an old man, <laughs> which I think is different from being an aged man, but nonetheless, I'm, I will be 75 this year. And one of the things that that does to anyone with any kind of curiosity at all is it you, you find yourself looking at the playbook that you were in in countless ways and COVID hugely uh, exaggerated that, I think for, for probably for everybody, you know, do you get on with the person you live with and what were your parents thinking when they did that and da da da. So these sort of quite discursive thoughts about who you are how you came to be, you know, which actually, you know, you never get to meet the genes. So that is quite puzzling. You've got a few reference points, you know, your, the most obvious ones are the, your, your social life, who befriends you, who you befriend, who you need, who you don't need. And then there's the sort of historical space of immediate family that's already quite a long way away. You know, we're not a, a close family uh, other than the one that I've made. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very, I grew up in a, what I would describe as a sort of almost standard late empire anti-intellectual household. And I don't mean that is to sound like I'm being sorry for myself or um, or even to suggest that that contains particular kinds of intellectual aggression but I think I'd have to say it does <laughs> and I think if you were to meet a dozen 75 year olds across the classes might be helpful if they spoke English and if they spoke English it's quite likely they might be Canadians or Australians or South Africans. I went to the William Kentridge show yesterday, a bit younger than me but completely recognisable. I think people would supply a fairly similar history lesson of emotional and lived experience what they've done with it or what they do with it or how they grew through it might be more various but nonetheless 
the, a kind of datum of how stuff was, how it was done, expectations. And I would say that that's true across classes. I mean, I don't like the class word, but across classifications. Um, so I think, I think it's Mark Lithgow, there's a Tate catalogue where he says, you know, he, he more or less says, you're not like other people. <laughs> he says something quite socially risky. And he says, you know, you're, he, I think he's, he's a brain scientist, so he should know. He says something like, you're wired a bit differently and you move from one thing to another in a particular, or not in a very particular way, whatever. But of course, I don't know that I do that. Mm. Um, I mean, it's interesting because in other talks I've heard you give and other interviews, you bring up brain science and you bring up genes as well. There's this... Do I? Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> there's this... It's a cracked record. <laughs> no, but there's... Um, it seems like there's this recurring interest in what is inevitable about a certain individual or a certain situation or a culture. What is, in effect, kind of given yep. out of our control. Um, like what, what kind of inevitability do you feel like you were born into? Uh, Ooh, what a, yeah. Um, well, I think inevitability is a big, so I'm, I'm tall-ish, I was tall, uh, I'm thin, um, I look a bit like my dad. A bit like my mum. Um, my mum over-talked. Um, she was talkative. Um, but I think the inevitability thing was... is much more... that I would just sort of fit in professionally. You know, so the word professional would be in there, although I don't think I ever heard it used. But I think there's something very conformist was there hmm. um, within quite a narrow, I don't know whether the word is purlieu, but within us. So no one ever talked about ambition. Never heard, I don't think I ever heard that word. I mean, I'm not meaning to denigrate somebody or anybody. I'm, I'm just saying that that's the, the deal. And anyway, childhood, you've got children. Childhood, what is it, 20 minutes? <laughs> Childhood's been reduced to about five years now. I mm. mean, my childhood probably was 15. Mm -hmm. But when you know what it is that you experienced and physically where you lived, how people spoke to each other, what the subject matter was, um, the re references people would say quite a lot. You would hear, I was thinking about this the other day. It's say during the war, before the war, after the war. Mm. Never occurred to me what, how that's a major thing to say mm. if you were there. Yeah. And they were, they were there. Mm -hmm. And their parents were there and the one before that and how odd that is, and you don't have any, any means of interrogating it. 
and I'm very regret regretful about that because I'm very curious about those as that that is kind of massive formative changes everything mm -hmm. changes everybody's expectations of each other mm -hmm. you know lead, leads to well it, it accelerates feminism in a way that is unimaginable because we weren't there um, yeah I remember you were recounting a talk you gave to a group of five-year-olds about history and communication <laughs> what <laughs> What you were, you were, this is another interview you were give, giving. Would it be a school near here, do you think? Or? I'm not sure oh, where it was. I mean, I wasn't there. I just, you brought it up in another conversation. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lie. <laughs> I wouldn't. But you were, you were trying to instill in them the fact that they weren't there and that history should really just be called you weren't there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think then it would be really, that, I, well, it's nice. I have, that, that, I, I recognize that. Yeah. I mean, I think. I think the oddness of, so we could even do this by standing in the street, which uh -huh. is what I do quite a lot in, in, okay. in the city. So Maybe somewhere just a little bit quieter, there's a bit of... Well, I can, I, I'm just going to nominate some buildings. Yeah. We don't have to say, okay. but you know, we're, oh, sta we're standing <laughs> in um, 1932 estate, which has been made over two or three times and, you, and it carries all its insecurities on its surface. It might, I think they probably had flat roofs. So they, they, they carry all their mistakes or all their changes of opinion, of mind, of expectation, of value. Um, and I didn't witness them being built because I wasn't born. And I probably wouldn't have been able to come to this part of London. <laughs> or I would have had to have been very vigorous to have found this piece of London. So we're on the canal just behind King's Cross, nearly on the Caledonian Road, south of Copenhagen Street. And this was always a notorious area because of transport and prostitution and general thievery. And all, because the wind in London comes from the southwest, the prevailing wind comes from the southwest, all the shit of London landed on Islington, which is why it failed. And it failed for at least 100 years, or failed in its initial proposal. But behind us is 1968, maybe, school buildings, which I sort of will know people wouldn't surprise me if somebody from an office or from an architect I know, you know, maybe there's a slight whiff of Hugh Casson or, you know, I can feel. So I, I do that when I pass buildings. I try and think what were the conversations that were going on mm. and, 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 and what were the values and, and what was, where, how were they financed? What was it? possible to do what was it not possible to do and then this itsy bitsy stuff could even be Conran because at some point Conran got hold of some land here and I think it's probably in a recession and they plonked a lot of stuff along here so I will have seen these being built but they're you know we're in central London <laughs> you know, the, these sort of they could be in Broxbourne or mm. 
the back end of Ipswich or you know there's always this funny argument in London about scale occupation it's not even really about little c big c class it's something about how you build cities and what have you and it's probably it's probably a moment where it was under under Islington Council's control and they went, look, we just can't do this. We're, we're never going to get the funds together. I'm just having an anxious moment. Sorry? I just want to double check that this is in okay. fact recording. I can repeat everything. No, I've no, said. no, it's on. Okay. 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 So, and so we, what, what I mean, I, I won't go on, but what I mean is that when I'm. I think this is a point where I need to step in now. Okay. Yeah, what now? <laughs> so, without, yeah, because I think what's happening is you're reading the city for me. And it makes me wonder. You've explained elsewhere that you could have easily been an architect or an urban planner or an engineer. You could have been someone uh, who, who makes pieces of city. And instead, what you've become is a reader of the city. And I'm, I'm curious about that decision or that swerve early on in life towards the lore of interpretation. God, that's such a, that's a sophisticated question. I think that comes from pretty poor educational... No, I mean, I was about to be blameful. I mean, I do come from a slightly blameful family, not my, my existing family, but I think that's a climate that prevailed um, in the 50s and the 60s. I have an idea that I might have been a bit odd as a school boy, but nobody ever took me on one side and say, look, you're a bit odd. <laughs> we want to, to do something with your oddness. Mm. Or even not pressing that button, because that could be, if you were 13 or 14 and somebody did that, that could be very disturbing. But I didn't really know the compass of possibility in the world and that's partly because domestically I knew a very narrow field of people and what they did you know uh, they were broadly speaking there was an uncle in the judiciary we'll let Ocado go past what big plums you've got <laughs> You didn't hear me. I said, what big plums you've got. I'm <laughs> <laughs> looking for the easiest way to drive out of here. Uh, I think you just, you asked me to help you. <laughs> that, you can't, you, that's the only way out. That's the only way out. Yeah, and that's, that will take you to Heathrow and that will take you to Southend. <laughs> just don't use sat-nav. <laughs> I think we should keep walking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, use a whip. Um, I mean, I don't like the way that, that, that hidden or, or possibly hidden in my, the way I'm replying is a slight whiff of sourness or, or whatever. I, you know, I'm extremely privileged. I've had lots of advantages. Lots of things have happened to me that I couldn't have foreseen. I don't even know how the decision was taken that I would do Spanish at school. 
pero me gusta mucho hablar en español. <laughs> so obviously it it's in there, it's in my psyche. Ditto French. Mm. Was that some kind of like, well, he's not going to be any good at it, you know, no. just shove him in the languages. No. I don't know. No. And I don't remember. And I think it's a bit sad that, it, that I don't remember because it doesn't seem to me that there was a debate. Uh, you know, and of course, anyone talking about getting from 13 to 17 is if they're not confused then there'd be something odd, odd with them because it's a confusing time mm -hmm. um, but what I think is very oh this is absolutely brilliant there's a lady using a hoe and I'm going to guess she's Portuguese excuse me excuse me can I just ask you are you Portuguese what is your first language first language Turkish, teşekkür ederim. That's as good as London gets. A woman in, in ambiguous public space with a mattock, knowing exactly what to do, not wearing gardening clothes, just going out and getting on with it, and then slightly horrified that I asked her, I mean, Southern Europe. Mm. You know. mm. So, I mean, that's interesting that most people would not have even noticed that woman, let alone, not? Let alone thought to... Oh, is that your phone? No, it's just that it's a family matter. Oh. I think that's an F. And my youngest son is called Felix. So you've just photographed and a sticker... Some alphabet sticker of the letter F. F, which has got wedged between. It's <laughs> lost. <laughs> oh, upside a brick down. and. A I think it is an F. It might be off a T-shirt or children's T. I don't. Know. It's wedged in the crevice of a brick wall. Um, and I think that the kind of ambience of everyday life, um, the texture of it is generally invisible. Most people are on their way somewhere else. And I'm curious about... That's why I'm always late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you seem to always be on your way here, wherever here is and now is. Well, it's a very... I think it was always... I think it was always like that. And it might be, you know, late life disinhibition, whatever, you know, the frontal lobe falling off. <laughs> you know, maybe... I mean, what... When, when I, I didn't accost you, but when I addressed you or whatever happened the way we met, mm. somewhere in my psyche was, well, it's a binary thing, yes or no. And it's, it's also a millisecond thing. And I said, I said something to you, you know. I think I said something because you were slightly in my way, not in a... In a bad sense but I was thinking how do I overtake this man and I I didn't recognize that the reason that you were going down the staircase at the speed you were going down the staircase was going to be revealed to me at the bottom which is you had a baby strapped to you and I rather <laughs> like babies again probably a late life phenomenon mm. and that led to a conversation but if every time we said good morning to somebody we thought how shall I phrase this? You'd never address anyone. Mm -hmm. So, you, you've often described yourself as being slightly Tourette-ish. Yeah. And also, 
defended the need to always articulate. If you can have a thought about something, why not vocalize it? Like, have I said that? I think so, yeah. yeah. There's a, um, not in writing, but in conversation in another interview you gave. It, to me, I appreciate that. There's a real urgency to speech. And I, I think of you first and foremost as a, a speaker before yeah. even a sculptor or a well, photographer, I think, I which I know is right. a title that yeah. you, no. you don't accept. <laughs> well, it's just such a contentious piece of territory. I think what you've just said is very good because I think actually, I think my... The pleasure, the pleasure in exchange and the strangeness of it. I mean, I met a woman this morning just as I was coming to you and it arose really through eye contact. My age, perhaps older, old Islington. And one of the sentences, she, we're going to meet again, one of the sentences she spoke, she said, some of my family were in banking and some of them were bank robbers. <laughs> and I hugged her and I just thought, what are the, of course, you know, everyone's got some contrasts, but I didn't solicit this. I didn't say, will you tell me about your phone? And I just thought, this is so fabulous that she, you know, so there was whatever happens between humans where the potential for amity is there all the time. And actually with children, you realize that they err on the amity side, but you can see their little fears as well. So, you know, and that will very much depend on how they're brought up about, well, you know, do not speak to other people on the bus or whatever. But that space is culture. I mean, what we're doing is culture. And it doesn't worry me that it might be woolly or isn't going to qualify for a, 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 a a PhD or isn't properly academic or I don't I'm mildly anthropological slightly sociological can do a bit of demographic none of which was ever taught to me I mean I've never you know I regret there are lots of people I'd love to have been taught by but I probably didn't know they existed so there's that funny thing of what where, where, where we're standing when you're typical London sort of what I call fedges so where a fence has become a hedge mm. and this is very noticeable after Covid people are on in a kind of riot of curtilage making you know <laughs> sort of stating privacy you know fence sales are rocketing you know and the city's being sort of kind of suburbanized mm. at, at quite a rate but actually one of those hedges, I think, is a, that's a par there's paracanther in that hedge, which is very prickly mm. and would have been grown in the Middle Ages. That's what you, you just put stuff in that just kept bad people out and the animals in and you, mm. they didn't have fencing materials. But the way to go through a hedge is to walk backwards through it. You should use, spread it with your mm. elbows and you can go through it and you won't suffer significant damage. I have to say right now I feel like there is a certain hedging going on. <laughs> okay. He gets to make the best jokes. <laughs> no, I'm I, I want to go back. Yeah. I want to go back to this 
this awkward moment you're describing, which is awkward for anyone, that transition from adolescence to adulthood. Yeah. Um, You mentioned in another, again, in another interview, this teacher of yours, Gordon Baldwin. Yeah. And you described him as being like, or being with him is like being with someone who knows how to open a window, which I loved that he can, <laughs> he can, oh. he is able to let in the air for Do you, you. know where I said that? Um, God, you've done so much work. I can't remember which conversation, or maybe it was, I think it was at the end of a talk you gave, um, maybe in a reply to a question Texas. Yeah. That's amazing. Whew. Well, you know, I think that this, why, let's stand in the sun for a minute, because it's, I'm a lizard. <laughs> um, I think who you meet, when you meet, where you meet, is sort of everything. And you can't plan it, really. You can go on Tinder, but, you know, you can't. It, eventuality is king, queen. And I think Gordon sort of happened to me. He was an uncomfortable well, maybe he wasn't that uncomfortable, but he was a prominent, uh, what they now would call a ceramicist, but a potter. And he, he worked in the art department and he didn't dress like other people. Got on with what he did. And he had a wife um, who was no less prominent, but she wasn't a teacher and she she uh, painted sets and costumes at the Opera House. Um, so he brought with him a kind of, wasn't, I wouldn't call it boho, uh, he, brought, he brought a kind of practical creative energy, which seemed quite ordinary, but he carried it with him. He had a Land Rover and Land Rovers came in one colour which was of course British Army green. Half the country was painted like that. BBC, Telecom, they were all painted like they were in the still the state. And he wanted a white one and he just got a pot of white paint and painted it. And he painted it very well. I mean probably not very well because uh, the point about car bodies is that they don't really want to be visited by brushes mm. but you just, just did it and you know then it reflected the heat and you know now I expect you can buy a, a white one um, so he, by example something about the way that Gordon conducted himself his open curiosity the invention of the colour magazine which of course he would tear up and stick on the wall of the pin on the wall of the um, pottery, you know, Bridget Riley or 
I even think that sort of later in the 60s, I might, that's where I might have first understood who Walker Evans was, but I didn't realise that they were Walker Evans pictures. I, I need, if I'm going to be really serious, I should... If I'm going to be really serious, I should check that, but it's not really my way. But what I mean is that there's a pool of information where, for the greater part, you know, there's one and a half television channels, they're in black and white. And I, none of this is, um, uh, I, I, there's nothing, I'm trying to tell you truths, I'm not moaning. I'm just, you know, very, it's a very simple, optimistic post-war post -war world. You know, the Beatles have appeared. Uh, you can, you know, my pocket money bought me 45s. I had a record, little record player. But that's what, that wasn't particularly grand. That was that all there was, you know. So I wrote to somebody the other day and I said, you know, it would be very, it was quite unusual to have a telephone. Certainly once you were a student, it was quite unusual to have a telephone. You might have access to one, but you might not have one. And, and a fridge was, was quite special. Um, so I'm, by the way you ask the questions, I can feel large amounts of, the, of change in something I didn't know existed, material culture. Mm -hmm. I can feel, you know, bye-bye chipped enamel bowl, hello plastic bowl. Bye-bye, disgusting dishcloth, hello, Scotch-Brite, whatever. I mean, they all have dates. It's this, and that's why I'm friendly with Zoe at um, Institute of Making, mm. because she has that breadth of curiosity about what things, how they enter, they enter lived experience but not in a particularly academic way, but that they shift stuff around. And of course, as a young person, you don't know that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not, I suppose what I am trying to say is it was extremely analog. And I was kind of interested in how it all worked. And then I went to live, in 1967, I went to live off the New Kent Road, which was, Obviously, there were lots of people living off the New Kent Road, but there weren't many students. And there was a particular circumstance that made that possible. And then I saw the beginning of the erasure, of the erasing of 19th, early 20th century London. So I just saw an entire terrace, just but taken to pieces by hand taken to pieces, usually by Irishmen wearing second-hand chalk-stripe suits. There was a place you could buy them in Camden Town called Alfred Kemp. And I suppose my witnessing these things and the materiality of them and the skill, wow! But watching that and witnessing London being deeply manual and it's only really in Probably in the last year, I've realised. Oh my God! I was, I was at the funeral. Mm. I was at the end of Entrepot London. You know where things were in warehouses, and you you knock on, you go to the door, and there'd be somebody 
with six cigarettes sticking out of their mouth and the office would be full of smoke and there'd be someone called Betty on a typewriter in the background and someone said, what do you want? And you'd be, know that you weren't like them and you had to cross the, the trade threshold and say, you know, I've seen, I saw in a catalogue that you make blinds or, you know, or that you keep, you have cork, I can remember going somewhere in, in uh, Chisholm Road, which was a cork tile warehouse. Well, how many do you want? You know, I'll put an extra four in the back if you give me a fiver. Completely, like, like, it seems like a comedy telling it, but mm. that's how the city functioned. But I realised that I was witnessing it packing up because what was coming over the hill was Terence Conran uh -huh. <laughs> and everything that's come followed that. You know. So these encounters you're describing and these you know, industrial sites around the city, is this you as a burgeoning sculptor looking for materials or what, what are you doing in these places? I think I didn't really, I think the truth is that I didn't, no one was telling me not to do it. It must have been obvious to various people that I was doing it. I, I suppose I was looking at how it's made, who puts it there, why is it put there, why does it have that shape, why does it have that characteristic. And of course it's the beginning, it's the beginning of the period when London is made of junk shops because that, there's lots of cheap property is not what the, the word property doesn't exist there are lots of empty premises which are worth are worthless so they're inhabited by either people who've are there incorrectly dodgily or on such a modest rent or you know it was my dad's shop but he's died whatever and so there were there was a sort of parking lot of the past. There was, you could, I was never very tied up in, in Notting Hill in that period, but obviously I know lots of people were because Notting Hill was a ruin. Um, so there were people who were, were beginning to, as it were, develop their taste or learn things by going to Portobello Market, where, you know, if you were partial to the history of furniture, I expect you could do an entire degree course in a few Saturdays. Mm. I wasn't really interested in that, but I was interested in being, at the, being near the death of all of this stuff, mm. you know, the, and, the, and I can do that in other cities. I can, you know, it's, and once it becomes very self-conscious and becomes, um, you know, the language changes, so now we live in vintage and retro, and it's not interesting to me at all. Mm. But I, I suppose what I was, I was in a sort of part-time course of what the story of industry might be. So how did all this stuff come about? What is Birmingham? <laughs> why did it make all this stuff? And why did most of it was quite poor? And how did it migrate? And how did it? And then, what status did it obtain when it moved out into the world? Which you can still read in London if you if 
you're interested in, we've just walked up a very modest street and we we understood we didn't have to communicate with each other. We knew we weren't in Mayfair. We knew we weren't. I was in Eaton Square two days ago. I haven't been in Eaton Square for 40 years. So I was like, this is incredible. And of course, I know the story that Eaton Square is a 1820s speculative invention of dumping a lot of dirt from the Isle of Dogs, <laughs> raising the marsh, and whatever. So this thing that, that without being an um, architectural historian, it's very legible. I mean, how had come did the legislation that said that all flats must increase their access to the exterior lead to these pitiful glue-on balcony things and we're standing underneath uh, 10, in fact, uh, another four there and uh, surprise surprise they're exactly what the back gardens used to be they're just storage places for the unwanted oh where, where are we going to put the bicycle and it's got a flat tire and i don't think we've got a bed out here today but we could have there so there's a that's a london that's the condition of london was always sort of knowing it's got an arse but not looking at it you know. I just want to pause for a second yeah can I take your picture yes. <laughs> um, you're very gracious um, I so think we have to reverse this one day I need to do it with you because <laughs> yours quite unusual well I think you're definitely not English <laughs> So, I, I want to, let's go, I think we should keep going and maybe find a park or somewhere with less traffic. Okay. I know you have to leave soon as no, well. No, I'm okay. We should, we there's can make there's our a way park back. up here. There's okay. a park up here. So, the, the question that prompted this particular spiral. Yeah. Um, Which I don't recall. Was a question about Gordon. I'm just going to take one photograph yeah. and I don't want your shadow. Okay. Uh, um, could you move... Oh yeah. Behind me, it's it's, it's oh, only that you. It, you become a personage, and Did you do it's, it? I can forget. It's fine. It's just that that I always sometimes, of course, that's a great giveaway. Uh huh. The the figure. That's so interesting, but actually. There's never hardly ever. There's never and a Hans human Ulrich figure. And Hans made that point, and then I said, but it's fucking full of people." That is peculiar though and in all of your work there's only ever the aftermath yeah of a body or yeah. a person or a culture yeah. i think that's what that's why i don't think i'm a photographer i think i'm a i might be somebody with a clipboard it might be really awful i might be somebody you know checking the passenger list or something you know but i i it's not because I'm looking for some German photography perfect, you know, although I know about all of that, but I'm not from there, so I can't... You're not a Becker. Well, it's funny, I was going to say that I only realised last week that I've just... I only wrote for the first time last week that I realised that they, they were memorialising and I n didn't know it at the time mm. because I didn't recognise that it was all going away. So. To go back to this question of Gordon. <laughs> Is that what started that? That's what started wow. I mean, the question of um, this teacher of yours, 
then prompted you to render for me a particular historical moment that you were in, a moment of transition, yeah. a close perception of changes in the material landscape that you're moving through, as well as changes in the relationship between city and industry and your curiosity of that. But I want to go back to this fresh air that Gordon Baldwin let in for you. I mean, the one brief anecdote you gave was that he painted his Land Rover white. Yeah. So he was a nonconformist. And conformism seems like one of the cores of your attention or your interest. At least in conversation, it seems to come up quite often. Conformity. Conformity or nonconformism. That's very interesting. I mean, that's, you know, I might have to get a couch. What time your batch went? Well, I think that's because I am from a stifling stiflingly conformist background with lots of incredibly interesting things in it that were as as happens in families were repressed or hidden or don't mention that or you know so what the usual list you know from sexuality to um uh Possibly, I've only just thought of this, possibly even racial profiling, a term I'd never heard of, um, to um, alcohol, to quite serious misbehaviour, types of misbehaviour. But as in any family, you know, that's not, I don't, it's not, but I... I'm, I don't think I'd be alone. Oh, I know what that is. That's St. John of the Wall. And I brought that from Berlin. And I live about four streets away. And it really likes to migrate. <laughs> this could be me. Sorry. Um, wow. Um, I think... I think this is... I think... You know, obviously there is a, it's it's big emotional stuff. It's, as always, it's what do you do with confines? You know, we're all confined. I think that I, oh my God, is this where you live? You never told me. This is George. Hi George. Oh, I miss you so much. Oh, that's the way you. It's like we we've been walking very slowly, so we would time it perfectly. <laughs> that's amazing. Right. Is your family here as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Lovely Thank to you. see you. Okay. Open another shop. Right. Bye bye. He ran very very good photocopying shop, oh, no, and the no. kind of place that said, you know, send your weekly earnings back to Nigeria. You know, that's places that you don't have no direct experience of. But at the end of my street, but I've, that's London. That's exactly it. I mean, we know how much we have delayed, detained, da 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 da. Mm. I mean, that was filmic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truffaut is coming in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I'm trying to say is that if I'm wriggling on this, I, I'm. I think there's two things going on. One is that I'm trying not to be to bore for Europe about what 19. 19- 63 was like 
or what my I don't want to de defile my family uh, but that's then mixed up with things which are very hard to talk about which are desire you know so we're talking about an adolescent you know and I'm a man so there's all of that getting going and you, of course you don't know who you are you know you know I, I mean I think um, I think it's Sarah Jane Blakemore there's a book that just says the whole point of being a teenager is that you've gone mad you know and just treat them respectfully <laughs> they're nuts because this is happening to their brain you know it's, it's now medical sound medical knowledge but you know we were in the period where you know don't do that do this do that blah, blah, blah. Mm. because and and even verbalizing it it's you're young but you can remember 15 years ago and you can I could ask you something and you could describe something quite vigorously about 15 years ago the war had only finished 15 years before but we were not in it and I now realize that we were surrounded by imagery that was related to it but we didn't know that I didn't know I didn't really know a bomb site from a Southwark Council clearance site or a GLC project they were just just half of London just wasn't there I made a slightly cheap remark. There's a program coming up that's going to kind of go on about Damien Hurst and that mm. period because mm -hmm. it's easy to do. So Hurst was a student of yours at the yeah, I mean, Goldsmiths? I Goldsmiths, mm. yeah. I mean, I remember him no better than I remember lots of other people. I mean, I remember Damien, but uh, I don't want to take responsibility but what I mean is that that's also to do with the um, thank you um, maybe we have to we should we that is what we're talking about but um, I find myself saying we came from blankets and eiderdowns they came from duvets mm. and I was like yes <laughs> and of course that's you know if your if your subject is material culture of course you know when these things enter the marketplace why they enter the marketplace what's happening you know if you used to go to Whitney the road went through Whitney the A40 went through Whitney there was no bypass and it kept telling you that they made blankets there so they were in a I don't know 200 300 year old conversation with sheep mm. <laughs> not that I ever internalized that but that's how we went to bed, you know. So you could even, you could then go further forward and you can say sex begins with the duvet. Mm. Or a lot of sex begins with duvets. So something like recognising why those students were energised in a different way is very boring if to, to say, you know, they had duvets. But they're growing up in a different, 
completely they're informed completely differently the the what they the music they would hear them how they would hear it mm -hmm. walkman 1980 perhaps first person i ever saw with a walkman was julian opie hmm. you know would come into to goldsmiths <laughs> 1981 i don't and i don't remember thinking it was cool i thought it was odd <laughs> but what i'm trying to say is that these are all laminates i mean what it seems like you're describing now are the the contingencies good word of um, of an attitude or of a way of seeing or thinking or being that subjectivity is always bound up in these things whether it's the walkman or the invention of plastic yes and there's something very objective about that. There's this kind of cause and effect relationship almost. Yeah. Um, I've heard you describe elsewhere that you're a big reader of history. Mm, well, I mean, you, I would you, hate you, to you enjoy reading history. Yeah, I'm really, I'm very, very intrigued by, by the rear view mirror. Mm -hmm. And I think somebody told me that Daniel Dunnett said the whole point of the rearview mirror is that you, you look at it and you forget it immediately, you must forget it, you mustn't go on about 20 miles before uh -huh. there was a truck behind you. And I read history a bit like that, I mean I, I'm not, I'm, I don't know how to study it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I guess reading means something different in this country, to be a reader in something, I didn't mean it that way, not in an academic way. Um, but. <clears throat> but you don't read fiction. Not, not readily. Uh huh. No. And I My think wife's in charge of fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so interesting, because there's a certain causality that we ascribe to history. Yeah. I mean, we there's a causality to me and you standing here, right now, on this particular street corner, and it is in a way history. Fiction. <laughs> It's something totally different. Yeah. Fiction is speculative. Yes. Fiction is what could have been but wasn't. Yeah. And to me, all of your photographs are fiction. Or they ignite a certain um, f fictional reading. Well, because it, you're always capturing something that has happened but the cause of which we can't know. Yeah, well, that makes the whole walk worthwhile because, you know, I'm, I'm like anyone else, I'm lonely and I don't know what I do, you know, I don't, you know, I mean, there are people who are very clear about which canon they need to be in and how they want to be in the canon and where they want to be and which club they're, I don't really know what all of that, I do know it, mm. but I don't. And I think that goes back actually probably to what happened when I was 14, 15. I didn't kind of get what these, if you go there, this can happen and whatever. Mm. whatever. And so it's kind of, maybe that's a sort of, I'm quite messy. So I, um, you know, my pockets are not attractive. <laughs> What's in your pockets? Yeah. Well, we have some modest slips dozens of notes to myself there you go as a reminder it says look look at that your name is on there um i don't know where that's from or, but i've written thresh 
and then slashed it with hold because that's why it's called the threshold. Mm. Can't read that anymore, which is typical. Out, As I say, out. out. I don't know. Undertaken versus overtaken. Uh. That's about three weeks old, and you keep appearing. You see, I'm trying to get in touch with you, <laughs> but forgetting. Uh, yeah, I sort of, you know, and my, th- I think that's actually a truth. I mean, I think I'm not proud of that, but mm. you know, my wife has a day book. It's really beautiful. Mm, what's that? And that's a that's a drawing of where we go in France, hmm. which is a folly. Oh, and I'm asking a boy who's an English boy there. I'm making some notes of things that I'm asking him if he could go and clear up because we left in such a hurry. Mm. So, so on the list there is... Uh, lost metal, bottle bank, up and down, gate, lock, earth up. That's probably some long-term project, but that he might carry some earth for me. He's very strong <laughs> <laughs> and I pay him. And then there's a w- lovely French word I like, bâche, which mm. is tarpaulin. Mm. I think I'm talking to myself. Mm-hmm. I'm rehearsing something in the future. Mm. And I want the place... Um, want a bit of care applied to it. I mean, it's just a... It's, it's got no power and it's in the middle of a wood. Mm. A, this is uh, a place you go with your family every summer. It's, that's how it began. But it's not, you know, it is not... Um, what's the word... Um, that lovely word it is not a property it is not not a property I uh-huh. mean it's ours uh-huh. but it's it, it it's got, we move from yeah, there? it's got no power no water mm. um, and uh, limited access etc etc but it's something that happened which if my wife wasn't as Jane wasn't so, I would say, adventurous and somehow gracious to me, very gracious to me, it would never have come to be. And actually did begin with an architect, did begin shared with a, with a, a, a proper architect, but he left. Um, Thank you. Morning. My encounter with your work began with an architect. It was Tom Emerson and his practice 6A. Yep. And I think maybe you're mentioned in in this book, Never Modern, which was written by Irenae Scalbera with 6A. That could be. Irenae and I have a little bit of previous. He once got me to give a lecture in Paris in French without saying my French really wouldn't work. (laughs) And it was one of the most fucking difficult things I've ever... I mean, I don't mind speaking French, Mm. but to move in a discursive way, pour une audience à l'école, was very, very tough. But I, I always think of you as the architect's artist because you're... Studio, in effect, is the city. The language you speak is the language of material and its composition. Um, And in a way, there's something validating or gratifying about seeing quite banal and mundane parts of a city valued in a way that um, is rarely the case. It doesn't even matter. Maybe what 
maybe they're just valued as culture mm. with a little c mm -hmm. and as i have to keep telling people you know there is horticulture uh -huh. and agriculture mm -hmm. and we use those words we forget you know what's the other one that's lurking in there? you know that's and i suppose you know we stopped by a very typical point of a lamp standard and uh, some kind of ambiguous gatepost nothing quite sure you know it's definitely not private it's in that endless ambiguity of the public and then there are all these palimpsestuous events you know some of which were once put on a drawing and were loved somebody really cared about a certain kind of engineering brick or you know the, the quality of the, the fencing I mean it's got a very substantial that's not a that's a piece of bar on the top that's a piece of stuff when you that probably didn't cost very much well it will have cost but it won't cost what it costs now so you won't get that anymore so you've got somebody and then you're standing on on something which you don't really see anymore which is uh, well you do but their assembler probably making them themselves but cast concrete I'm going to guess that they are they could be two foot square but I slightly wonder if they are and just for context we're standing in an access route to a housing estate yeah from 19 69 I would say <laughs> 60. But, but what do you make of this relationship with architecture and architects I mean you brought up assemble well, briefly and I know that you were teaching at the Ruskin at a yeah, time well, where that, a lot of yeah, members that, of assemble were studying at Cambridge yeah well that's a very that's a very specific so I'm just going to try and yeah, yeah. believe it or not I have tried to answer your questions <laughs> um, I I think this feeling maybe without being sorry for myself I feel like a bit of a misfit uh, I'm not the least bit sorry for myself I've got enough social confidence to handle whatever that might mean it means I don't really have a tidy sense I don't really have a tidy sense which is a personal crisis anyway but I don't really have a tidy sense of where I want to be effective I want I, I would be a bit bored if I died and no one ever mentioned me again not because I want them to say do you know he was such and such I'd like to I'd like to be the grit in quite a lot of shoes <laughs> and I'd like the, that grit to be useful across quite a lot of subjects so that you know and the, the trouble is that the subjects always end up with these big names like sculpture or urbanism or whatever but you know there's quite a long history of particularly in America or and Germany of artists and artist photographers and sculptors and urban intelligence being intertwined in some way even if it's only dinner friendships or or whatever should we find a yeah. less windy spot and just worry about the yeah. mics um but i think it, it's never occurred to me before 
I don't know whether you're trained in psychiatry. But it's so funny you brought that up at the beginning as well. My father is a psychiatrist. Well, <laughs> give him my warmest regards. You can tell him I spent quite a bit of time with a man called Robin Skinner, who apparently John Cleese was quite close to. Um, sorry, sorry. Um, I, and actually, it's quite strange. I now realize that perhaps there's a fucking squirrel over there. God, I hate them. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they came from North America. They're rats. Uh. <laughs> they bugger up the trees. They shouldn't be here. Um, in fact, that could go on the list of, you know, he's squirrelist. Mm. <laughs> um, um, no, I think actually I had quite a big emotional crash in the 70s. And I think a lot of the things that you've asked, so maybe me teasing you a little bit about psychiatry, perhaps I could feel something, that, that those things suddenly, you know, the glass was on the floor and it was in pieces and I didn't know how to put it back together again. And there were, there were quite a lot, of, and there were quite a lot of big family things happened to my, my family family. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, you know. So, so, so along with the 70s, you know, where, you know, there was just a sort of endless political muddle, which actually goes back to not having dealt with things, arguably, at the beginning of the century. I mean, all sorts of things to do with mining and why we burned coal and why did we breathe? No one even talked about what we were breathing. <laughs> People complain about, the, you know, your shirt's dirty. Mm. Um, but I think that the 70s is a, is a, leads to Margaret Thatcher, who then is accused of doing everything. I mean, Margaret Thatcher arrived with a J-cloth and sort of cleaned it all up and said, I've tidied it all up now. But actually, the 70s was the result of dozens and dozens of huge things that had never been dealt with. And they all, it just fell to pieces. And we were all in it. And I remember it as quite good fun. I mean, I owe my marriage to it or whatever. But I also now recognize I was in not a great place emotionally. So that's the Robin Skinner connection. And I think, and he, and he told me some things about children. I remember him saying, it was him who told me, they restore you, you know, mm. they, 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 they drain you and then they restore you. And then you forget it. Um, so he would say wise, occasionally say a wise thing, but clearly I remember some of those wise things. But I think my, my ambiguity about what, what is the contribution I make or have made or what, what is my role, you know, it then goes to various moments like, I think Tom Emerson, knew something about me, he approached me and he was a properly inquisitive student and he's quite, there's a sort of maturity about Tom which I think probably comes from his wise academic parents and also that he's dyslexic and so maybe I am, who knows, but he's from the period when they could actually kind of go, you are. Mm. So we've had a kind of amity for 30 years and I really like his 
company. I really like the way he goes around something. He's not very conventionally competitive with other practices or, I mean, I'm sure he's got feelings, but he's not doing all that. He's not in the boxing ring all the time, which is very tiring. And I think he, I think he recognizes the comedy that you've got craft at one end, built form at the other, politics, labor, materials, distribution in the middle, and it's all happening in real time. And he somehow, when he's talking, he's always implying, you know, that nothing, there aren't many places to go with comforting stasis. And that, I find that quite comforting because I think I was sort of told that the world was made of stasis and I didn't like the smell or the look of it. Mm. And I never said that to him, but we, I saw him a couple of days ago and as usual we did this and did that and talked for too long and then I was late home and caused a firefight. But I think all of that is fueled by various things like you know, I, because I was taught by, I think, you know, Gordon Baldwin for a teenager was brilliant. I think that's very nice. That tells you something. That tells you that these, somebody th thought that where we're standing was a London Square, but it's never looked at a London Square. And I don't think would know why it, that London Squares are fortifications. You know, so, so you're pointing to an absent a gate that's been cut away. Gate or even, yes, so that, you know, so this is the little bit of me that likes archaeologists, mm. you know, that there's a feeling that the fence might have run the, maybe not, but where things have been and then they've gone, which of course is the city's just made of palimpsests, you know. It's, um, which incidentally, the owl in Palimpsest, I remember looking up around September the 11th in San Francisco, and it's the sound of sa it's sand, because in order to remove the previous material from the papyrus or skin or whatever, you have to sand. And I love, I love, well, okay, it's migrated a bit, but anyway whatever dictionary I was looking in. Um, but I think that, that Gordon, and there's a man, there was a man who I must have had, had to go to see, you know, have an, not an appointment, you know, you will go to Mr. Van Oss at 9.05 on a Tuesday morning or whatever. Hmm. And he was, he, might, he wasn't the headmaster, he was probably the next up but he was important and he was a word we don't hear anymore, a very cultivated man. It turns out that he's responsible for Peter Palumbo. He's the person who sort of showed Peter Palumbo, the schoolboy, that there were things called buildings and there was modernism and there was architecture and what have you. I don't know the details, but anyway, he said to me, so what do you go? what are your A-levels or something, I don't remember, you know, what are you going to do? It was obviously his job to ask me what I was going to do. 
and um, the person I most admired, you know, the coolest boy in the year above, or 18 months above, had gone to Sussex to read English. And he said, so what do you want to do? And I said, I, I want to read English. Where? I said, Sussex. That's pathetic. But, you know, no one else was telling me that's pathetic. So I'm sitting in front of this man and he says, what's the last book you read? And I said, I mean, I more or less don't read books. <laughs> I think I said, Dr. Zhivago. <laughs> and I remember a sort of look going across his face. And he said, you spent all your time in the art department, all your time, everybody knows it, all your time, you should go to art school. Not in my consciousness at that point at all. And I think actually what it tells you is that I was wriggling in all sorts of conformities. You know, there was probably, I think my father thought I was going to be a lawyer, plucked from outer space doesn't really, the detail's not important. Clearly I felt very constricted. So that, I don't think there's any false memory in what I've just told you. So he sort of, you know, put me on the palm of his hand and blew. <laughs> so, you know, permission, gave, the most important thing there is, give somebody permission. Um, and the rest is, is sort of the rest, but in the rest are all these encounters with oh, Tony Hunt is clearly important because he was teaching structures at the Royal College and the, the Royal College ran a one-year foundation course. I don't know why. I think they were experimenting with why is English art education the way it is? You know, mm -hmm. why, do people, why do people leave the Royal College, teach in Nottingham and send their children, their pupils back, mm. you know, and that's a very dangerous, that you could say the same about Oxford or Cambridge, you know, circularity is not good mm. for anybody. And I think they were seeing what would happen if we took people, I had done a foundation course, we took people, so James Dyson was in the same year. And it's just, a, and, and Corinne Julius, who you might know as a journalist now, but, okay. you know, probably interesting to talk to. Um, and we were all in the top floor of the now ruined but brilliant um, Cabri Brown building, facing the Albert Hall. And we ran, were on this little homespun course. And of course, you know, you'd get in the lift and Misha Black would be in the lift, you know, all near royalty. <laughs> but you didn't, you just, I was 19, you know, stupid. Yeah. No, going to find out years later, that's Misha, that was Misha Black. And, um, um, oh, Joseph Reichert had only just left from being the, the librarian, but his name was on the door in, because part of the, 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 fake, the fakery of the place was that it was meant to feel like a Cambridge college, which I didn't understand, but that's what Robin Darwin's model was. That's where all that senior common room, all that. Oh. So, you know, there was a middle common room for, mm. for them. So there's a, a lot of us and them and them and us. Mm. Um, but there was a kind of gentlemanly 
1951 the very end of that but you know if you found some staff lists from that that period you kind of go fucking hell you know and i heard uh, joseph um um John Hartfield came and gave a lecture. I don't know who John Hartfield was, and I remember him saying, I have a very funny name. It's, it should be Herzfeld, but I changed it for reasons that you're going to understand. <laughs> you know? And I was, I don't know who John Hartfield was, and I mean, and I've, I've found out, because I've got a nice coincidence, I found out who he was staying with, and that I really did go to that lecture. I also think Buckminster Fuller came. Hmm. Richard Hamilton came. So, you know, you're bathing in stuff. And then I suddenly realized I was very, unco I, I suddenly, I knew lots of people in the furniture school. I knew who David Pye was. I reckon, I, I wasn't snooty about, I wasn't dismissive of it, but I, I, I was, I was, I think I, perhaps I thought I was a fake or, Something wasn't, that's, that's a bit strong. I didn't feel quite right about it. And then we, one day we were sent to sculpture for a day in sculpture. Yes. We were taught, well, we were looked after by a nice man called Derek Woodham. He's a very good artist. And I made something quite stupid. I made a, a I mean, I knew more about materials than any of the other students, so I sort of was quickly casting slabs of I made a sort of Rachel Whitreed-ish QB, QB thing. I mean, that's a quick way of describing it, but, um, but it, it had some, it had a couple of detail. I put some radiuses in where there wouldn't be a radius. And I remember Derek Woodham saying, what have you, why have you? So I dressed some joint in a sort of, because you could probably, because wet plaster's like that. What fun, I'll go, I'll have one here, <laughs> you know. And, but then of course I realized what a, that's a dynamic atmosphere. There's people in the corridor, sounds of making, you know, there's welding over there, very irresponsible. People w walking in with a drum of resin, which is spilling, nothing's on fire. Mm. So you're near, you know, a lot of stuff. And brilliant building was a, um, abandoned um, stables at the back of the Science Museum mm. worth looking at and hugely you know wasn't demolished till 1990 complete I would say the build the things in that building that contain scale so match boarded walls because they didn't have 8x4s in 1916 um, so the walls contained measurement and you could cut through the wall if you want. You could, you know, no one's looking, you could cut through to the next studio. <laughs> so there was a lot of physical engagement with the building and you could sort of get away with it. Um, and I would say that that is very deep in early uh, Tony Cragg. That's much later, not much later, but it's middle, late 70s. Lot of it in Alison Wilding. So I probably was looking f to be a bird in a different kind of nest, you know, something like that. Um, but, you know, I, Tony Hunt died a few weeks ago and I said, I, 
I kind of he's on my list with um, Gordon, you know, who's still alive. You know, who of course are they're people who just threw di dice down, and you may have picked them up, but you don't know that. This is the sort of thing Tom and I talk about. So we're looking at a fence that's been remade several times. It's different layers of boarding. And the history of standardized lengths, you know. Hmm. No, we've only got two meters. <laughs> so this is going into your making do and getting by. I don't know what to do with this all. So in fact, the person that, that we'll have a coffee with I mean he's this is amazing the only time I've seen cars with tickets being cleaned <laughs> can I have the I'll take the ticket um, but it's true this project it's so long term it, you started it in the early 70s I think if I really looked I would probably find I was doing it as a student but I didn't know what it was I mean it didn't get nominated until late in the 70s. Uh-huh. Nominated. By me, I mean, yeah, uh, given a... I love how you use that word, because you use it for the description of meaning. To nominate meaning in something, I've heard you say it quite often, actually. Is it, is it, is it wrong? <laughs> no, it's beautiful. <laughs> well, you know, I don't live with somebody... She corrects my speech by saying, will you shut the fuck up? I haven't woken up yet. No, you know, because I start talking when we wake up. Um, but, but maybe this is a good place to end. Um, I mean, making do, getting by, it's an archive of images you've, you've been adding to for, uh, what, almost 50 years now. Yeah. Um, and in a way, it becomes your legacy. It becomes what people know you for. What do you see its afterlife being? How is it going to be kept or shared? Well, I think I'm just at the point, you know, with a few heart pains and little signals that we get. I'm just thinking, what do I do? You know, what do, I mean, really, what do I do? Because it's, uh, we're going to uh, Kiji, which is pronounced Kir, <laughs> but no one would ever find it. <laughs> um, I... It's a sort of crisis in a way. It's, I think Hans Ulrich is the person who most understands it. I think it's, you know, it would, it would be a waste if it was thrown away. Uh, a lot of it is digital. Um, a lot of it is slides. Um, I don't really have sort of what I would call the RW ego foundation I, I don't have foundation ego I don't have all that but I do think it's of undoubted consequence you know and it probably needs quite a lot more work from me for it to have consequence because what do you mean well just because those photographs exist you know every single one doesn't say where it is I'm usually pretty good at saying where it is you know for the archive to remain lively to be alive and for its, I mean, the nearest thing I think I would be, pr I would be delighted if someone said it was as important as the, the, the Warburg thing, you know. The Nemesine. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a, there is a kind of, I mean, he's properly. No, I just like standing here. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry.
Um, maybe Bob is here, maybe not. That could be him. No, that's not. Can you finish at a table in the corner, or is that all right? I don't want to take up more. No, of you're, time. you're not. I mean, I'm. Um, I was here before I came to see you, so they'll be laughing. Um, hi. Do you have a happy holiday? You look. You look. We went away, but we we don't. Unfortunately, this is our mother country. We can't go to Turkey. Well, we can get. Sorry. I think it's because I've been asked these embarrassing questions, and I've had to answer them. <laughs> um, I probably, I did. We did go. We were in the heat wave, and we went to France, and but, yeah. But we had to come back. What will you have? Oh, I'm fine. Really? Yeah, yeah. Can I think I'll just have a cup? Of, can I have a hot chocolate? Actually, that would be lovely. Thank you. Can I just check your battery one more time? I'm just yeah. anxious. Sorry. How many other children in your family? And uh, in terms of my siblings, or I grew up with three brothers, so you're fine. Three brothers, yeah. and where are you? I'm the second eldest. Okay, and where is your dad? Where are your parents? In Vancouver. In Vancouver. Oh my gosh, that reminds me, I have a book for you. Gosh, just like that. And what was it that triggered that? There you go, you see what? <laughs> I would have forgotten. Um, oh, you are nice, thank you. I know you don't read or no, no, that is interested I mean, in fiction it's and poetry. Obviously, I'm embarrassed when somebody says that. I mean, I will take some pictures of all the books that I... I mean, I'm... But I don't really know how to enter and hold fiction. Mm. It's um, not quite fiction. Um, it's a Vancouver poet named Lisa Robertson, who actually lives in France now, rural France. Whereabouts? I'm not sure exactly where. Maybe this will be, it'll turn out, I'll know. I hope you can meet her at some point. She's it's a her, she's a her. Yeah. Oh, this is beautiful. Oh my God. I just happened to open. Is this I didn't know it was, I didn't know I'd opened the Datchet. And you know that that's how you're meant to pronounce it, the French told me. Adjet. Adjet. Oh, I didn't know Which I that. find, I mean, I have to work very hard to do it. Oh, that's extraordinary that it fell open at that page. Yeah. Ah, that's very, that's really, really, thank you. Um, no, no really, it's really, it's worth talking to people on staircases. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard, it's been such a pleasure. So, well, thank you for thank your you. time and attention and energy. We'll criticize it. And if there's, I don't know what you want to do with it anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's a good fireplace. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Scaffold is a project from the Architecture Foundation. I'm Matthew Blunderfield and I produce the show. The theme music is composed and performed by Luke Blair. Subscribe to Scaffold on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at scaffold underscore podcast. If you like the show, spread the word and leave a rating on iTunes while you're at it. Thanks to Richard Wentworth. Thanks as always to Scandal Lynn. And thanks to you for listening. I'll see you next time.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.